Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. After years of being raped by her grandmother's boyfriend, a 17-year-old sits down to write a suicide note. She can no longer live with the torture she's endured during her short life. Suicide seems to be the only way out. He raped me over and over again, lost count. It frightened me because where I worked at, I used to have to ride a bicycle. And I used to always wonder and worry, would I be the next victim? And then you think, eh, it can't happen to me. But it did. I remember pleading with God, whatever you do, just don't let, just don't let him kill me. Held 26 hours, gunpoint, he raped me over and over again, lost count. So I told him, I said, listen, it's unfortunate how we met. I could be your girlfriend, I could take care of you, and no one ever has to know. Reverse psychology, I guess, coddling him like a four-year-old child, it worked. At one time, he placed my hand on his face. I saw his face through my hands. Pop marks, small mustache. Small ears, short hair, clean cut, kind of stouty, but not overweight, big guy. So he drove off. I pulled my blindfold down. And the first thing I saw was this gorgeous, beautiful oak tree. And that's the moment I knew my life was about to change for the good. Branches of new life. Born in October 1953, in the state of West Virginia, the topic of our podcast was born with an extra X chromosome. This caused the gentleman to grow breasts as he went through puberty. You can imagine the kind of ridicule that he faced from his classmates at school, being a young boy with breasts. His childhood was marked by violence and accidents. In first grade, he suffered some severe injuries and ended up failing first grade. As he grew up, He developed a very dysfunctional relationship with his mother, sleeping in the same bed with her until he was a teenager. His mother worked at a bar. In order to get tips, she flirted with customers and often came home reeking of alcohol and with a different man. As this young boy grew up in this unstable household, he started to develop a hatred for women. At age 13, he met a girl named Cynthia. Cynthia ended up being his high school sweetheart. Soon they were married. They had two children together. The topic of our podcast seemed to be starting a normal life, but things are not always what they seem. Over the years, their marriage became increasingly hostile. The topic of our podcast owned a motorcycle. It was something he really enjoyed in his free time just hopping on the cycle and taking off. 
One day, he was in a terrible accident. The accident would land him in the hospital for several weeks. Medical bills, now another stressor on their already tumultuous marriage. The topic of our podcast seemed to become increasingly more violent after the accident. His high school sweetheart could no longer put up with his temper. He seemed to have a total lack of impulse control and a lack of social skills, possibly due to the years of ridicule he faced as a child and the trauma from the motorcycle accident. There were several violent confrontations between the topic of our podcast and his childhood sweetheart. This increasingly tumultuous marriage would finally come to an end. There were several incidents where the topic of our podcast became extremely violent. Times when he choked his wife. One time he actually slammed her head into the television set, knocking her unconscious. While his wife seemed to chalk up his behavior to the result of his motorcycle accident, there was something else going on. She went on to reveal that after he would abuse her, he would apologize and promise to never hurt her again, just like the classic abuser. She told a local newspaper that she actually plotted to kill him. She had a loaded shotgun and was prepared to use it, but changed her mind. After getting married, the couple had moved to the Miami, Florida area, and that was where they built their life that ended in the couple's divorce. But the divorce was not the end of the topic of our podcast. The topic of our podcast had an overwhelmingly increasing sex drive. It became an obsession for him. He started trolling the classified ads in the newspaper. Now, for the younger listeners, the classified ads in the newspaper, first of all, a newspaper used to get delivered to your house every day. And in that newspaper, you could actually read the news. Sports news, world news, economic news. Instead of going online to read it, there was an actual print copy that was delivered to your house on a daily basis. Most of those newspapers had a classified ad section, similar to Craigslist or even some of the other websites where you can buy products that somebody else is selling, something like eBay, where people would just list the items they had for sale and list their phone number or way to contact them. And if you see an item that you like, you give them a call and then you check it out. The topic of our podcast started looking for bedroom furniture. Why did he select bedroom furniture? How much did he need? Well, the key to selecting bedroom furniture was that he would have to go over and try it out before making a commitment to buy it. Now, when he would go over to test out the merchandise, he usually liked to travel during the day because during the day, the husband, the man of the house, was likely to be at work. This was a chance for the topic of our podcast to be alone with the woman from the ad. He was clean-cut and well-dressed, seemed like an honest person, and that was the image he wanted to portray. The woman who was answering the door had no suspicions about the topic of our podcast. He had answered a classified ad. Of course he was there to take a look at the item that was for sale. Usually these women were alone and vulnerable. That's when the topic of our podcast would take action. 
Generally, he brought a knife with him. He would tie the victims up, rape them, and then take whatever he wanted before leaving. As he became more and more successful with this technique, he expanded to other areas of Florida, going through Miami, Tampa Bay, Hillsboro, Pasco, Pinellas, Fort Lauderdale, Ocala, Dade County. This was a very effective technique for the topic of our podcast. In fact, in 1981, he was tried and convicted of rape, but he requested a new trial, and the charges were later dropped. He was free again. Throughout this series of classified ad rapes, he didn't want to leave any more victims who could identify him, so he started killing them, slitting their throats, bludgeoning them to death. He would often arrange his victims in a unique-looking pose so that when they were discovered, they would leave a lasting impression. Back in 1984, the topic of our podcast picked up a prostitute. He assaulted her and raped her, strangled her, and then killed her, dumping her body in an area where he did not think she would be found. Later on that year, he picked up a hitchhiker. He drove her some ways, pulled off to the side of the road, pulled out a knife, and she started screaming. At this point, he tied her up, drove to a remote area, raped her, and strangled her. Her body was found with her hands bound behind her back and her legs spread far apart. Another prostitute, he lured her into his car, beat her and raped her, leaving a red nylon fiber on her body. Raping the women who listed items in the classified ads was no longer enough for him. His driving impulse turned into murder. Murdering one, two, three, he could not satisfy his urges. He continued to rape and murder women, mostly targeting prostitutes. They were the last people that someone would come looking for. Another victim was just walking along the street. He picked her up and offered her a ride. Again, he seemed like a nice guy, kind of harmless. So the woman got in the car with him. This time, he pulled out a gun and shot her in the neck. The killing spree continued. But later that year, in November, he finds the girl who wrote the suicide note, 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh, the woman you heard at the beginning of the podcast during an interview. Well, he found her riding her bike. He dragged her to his car, forced her to perform oral sex. Then he brought her to his apartment, where he continued raping her. But this time, he decided not to kill her. In Lisa's words, she was a survivor, and she was determined to use any type of psychological tricks she could pull in order to convince him to let her live. And she did live. She was able to get free, or he let her go, only to continue to kill. But this time, there was information about him. He let one of his victims live. Lisa would be able to go to the police with a description. During an interview, Lisa recounts the incident by saying she was working a double shift at the Krispy Kreme. She was riding her bicycle past the church parking lot, planning on going home and ending her life. The topic of our podcast grabbed her, 
had a pistol pressed against her left temple. She remembers screaming as he dragged her to his car, a red Dodge Magnum. During the incident, at one point, she was able to ask him why he was doing this to her. He allegedly said, to get back at women, in order to keep him from killing her. Lisa acted sympathetic. She created a fake story about her life in order to make him feel sympathy for her. Now she had to go back to her grandma and tell her what happened. And of course, they didn't believe her, but the police believed her. This put police on a manhunt. Today's show has been brought to you by Blue Apron. I don't know about you, but cooking meals can be fun, but it's, it's a lot of work. Blue Apron makes that work easy for you. If you use the link that's on DerekIzzy.com, you can get $60 off your first month of food. It, it is awesome. What you do is you go online, use that link, get your discount. They have chef-selected menus if you're vegetarian, if you're allergic to something. doesn't matter. You can customize it. They have a selected menu, but you can also change that menu and decide what you want. I like to let them decide. Because honestly, they're, they get me to eat things that I normally wouldn't eat. So they send you a box with all the ingredients. They send you pictures. And they send you directions. Average meal takes anywhere between 15 and 35 minutes to prepare. And it's all healthy stuff. It's easy to make. You don't have to throw anything away because they ship you exactly the portions that you need to make the dish. And then you do it. If you got kids, it is a great bonding experience for the family, gets everybody into the kitchen, and it'll turn any novice into a master chef. All you have to be able to do is read the directions. They've got advanced dishes, burgers, fries. I mean, they cover every taste range. Whatever kind of food you like, it is on their menu. Mediterranean food, South American food, Asian food, it's, it's all in there, and it's all easy to make. Delivered to your door, $60 off your first month's orders. Go to DerekIzzy.com and use that discount link. Sign up, get your food from Blue Apron, and enjoy it. On November 16th, 1984, the topic of our podcast was at a movie theater, watching a movie, having matched the red fibers from his car to one of his victims, the police arrested the topic of our podcast, and now the process of a trial would begin. The topic of our podcast was charged with eight counts of murder and sexual battery and nine counts of kidnapping with one count of murder still pending. He was also charged with violating probation for aggravated assault, and because of the murder charges, he was refused bail. At this point, bodies started turning up. A few days later, a woman's corpse would float up the Hillsborough River. She had been strangled, but not identified. She seemed to fit his profile, though. A few days after that, another woman's skeletal remains were found. Her hands were bound. During the investigation, it was said that the topic of our podcast, after committing each murder, would go home and sleep. He would say that when he woke up, it seemed like the entire event was nothing but a dream. 
He hated the women that he killed, believing that they were sluts and they deserved to die. And it was his job to ensure that happened. When the police were able to search the topic of our podcast apartment, it was exactly how Lisa had described it. In this apartment, they found photos of nude women. They found photos of him raping some of the women. They found pieces of clothing that belonged to the murdered women. The topic of our podcast admitted kidnapping Lisa and having sex with her, but said that she didn't want to leave. Lisa said this was not true, and it was just something he made up to try and protect himself from being convicted. During the interrogation, the officers said that they had a very, very strong case against him. And the topic of our podcast is quoted as saying, Well, I guess you got me good. Yes, I killed them. All the ones in the paper, I did them all. When asked about letting Lisa go, he says, I knew when I let her go that it would only be a matter of time. I didn't even tell her not to talk to police or anything. I just didn't care anymore, and I wanted to stop. I was sick inside. A distant cousin of the notorious Henry Lee Lucas, who had confessed and also recanted to hundreds of murders, the topic of our podcast seemed destined to be a serial killer. In 1985, one year later, he was competent to stand trial. His lawyer brought up the trauma from head injuries and hormonal imbalances as the cause for his behavior. His defense was that his hypersexuality and hair-trigger violence was just part of a pattern of behavior associated with neurological damage to the limbic region of the brain, which he suffered from. Therefore, due to this medical condition, he should not be punished for his actions. But the topic of our podcast admitted he was aware that what he was doing was wrong, and he took great steps to make sure he was not caught until he met Lisa. Throughout the entire trial, the topic of our podcast, his guilt was never in question. What was in question was his punishment. Did he understand what he was doing and therefore he should be executed? Or do we give him life in prison due to his medical condition? In the end, the jury did not buy his defense and he received two death sentences and 34 life sentences, plus an additional 693 years in prison. After his first death sentence, the topic of our podcast left the court whistling like he had no care in the world. He said that he was no killer, like the other guys on death row. His death sentence was merely political. Political or not, on April 23, 2019, the Florida governor signed his death warrant. Keep in mind, 2019, he went to trial in 1985. He exhausted all of his appeals. And on May 23, 2019, eating his final meal of roast beef, bacon, french fries, and a soda, Bobby Joe Long, the classified ads rapist, was executed by lethal injection. A witness to the execution with a front row seat was none other than Lisa McVeigh, the surviving rape victim. 
Witnessing the execution, sitting in the very front row, she says, I wanted to be the first person he saw. And she was. She was also the last person he saw. From traumatized childhood to classified ads rapist, this has been the story of Bobby Joe Long. Because now you know the rest of the story. <laughs>